Hi, this is Corey McRae, the senator for the 45th Legislative District, and you're listening to the Condoit Street Podcast, my go-to source for the latest news and insight on state and local government in Maryland. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, we are on Conduit Street. How many weeks now have we been saying, oh, I wish we were back on Conduit Street? Well, we're back. Here we are. Back, back in the, the glorious studios, you know, here at uh, here at Conduit Street Central. And uh, we got the, you know, the whole engineering staff is here. That would be just you, right? Just me. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> we're working on that. We're working on that. If anybody knows anybody that's willing to do it for, like, free, we would uh, we would certainly appreciate that. But, but it is really good to be back. And uh, first of all, I think, Michael, we're going to get into a lot of things today. We're going to talk about what's going on in Annapolis, which is what we always do. It's session. You know, what's happening with the Senate versus the House and we're on some different pages now. We're going to talk about the Accountability Implementation Board. That goes back to the blueprint. We talked a lot about the blueprint and Kerwin. But I think the most pressing issue for all of our listeners is the great serial debate, the serial (laughs) drama that you dropped on everybody last week. We did a poll. Tell everybody what's going on. All right. So so if if you weren't with us last week, I had a weird moment. I'm putting my son to bed. We're recording from home late at night. And so I'm just on the heels of having getting my son down to bed. And his, his, his nighttime snack was a bowl of cereal. Right. And he asks me, is it okay with me if we just pour the milk first and then the cereal on top of that? So I end up with just like... It's a it's it's a sea change. Like what happened? Who is this? Who is this kid? I I thought things were going well. Right. Um, my right. nine year old son suddenly has these these perverse ideas that don't fit in our family. Right. So anyway, I'm happy to report that this was just a blip, and and things have calmed down. Uh, we have since had cereal together. Okay. And without I mean okay. you know in a in an appropriately fatherly way I poured our bowls of cereal in the correct, you know, universally understood to be correct fashion. Setting a good example. Yeah, yes. Right. And right. then this is this is how we do it. And and I, I think we probably won't speak of this again. So that that's okay. I mean but anyway, we, but, I feel but, good about it. But we did run a poll, right? That also, I think, helps cement you feeling good about this. We ran a poll on the podcast well, Twitter account. and well, Right. So so our, our friend Victoria mm-hmm. doing comms for, for Mako thought that this was a topic that we might need to hear from people on. And I was worried that if we run this out to the general population, I mean, what if it comes back 50-50 or even, even like 70-30? Yeah, even, yeah, even 20% uh, right. of people, I, yeah. I, I would be really worried if, if our listeners or the people who follow our social media are milk-first people, I would I would have to like do some soul searching. I don't I don't I don't, I don't want to think about the place I'd have to go. No, it, it wouldn't be good. But it, but it turns out that everyone agreed that you, they're doing cereal yeah. first. Right. No yeah. one's doing yeah. milk right. first. So this was a blip, and I'm really happy that you're calmed down because it was a lot. It, Sound and fury signifying nothing. So that's good. That's what we want. Okay, so we can put that to bed. It sounds like that's good. No issues there. So so Michael, let's get into Annapolis and what's going on. 
we are well into session now. It's it's February 17th. You know, the, everything is just a flurry of activity in both the House and the Senate. The big news that we talked about last week has happened. The Senate is back in person and the House remains virtual. So some complications there, I think, just with logistics. But you've been back in the House and the Senate building. What is your take so far uh, on how it feels to be back in both of the buildings? And then the Senate actually doing hearings in person. That's a big change, too. Yes, I I haven't yet been at the table in person in the Senate. Mm -hmm. So but I I have been in both in both buildings now. So there's an office building for each of the Senate and the House. That's where they conduct their committee hearings. And then each member has an office with staff and so forth. And I wouldn't say, like, those buildings were effectively closed last year. I right. think there was a very limited circumstance where stakeholders like us could get in the building for a specific appointment. Someone had to walk you up, mm-hmm. right? Or something like that. Right, right. I didn't do it a single time. I, right. I didn't end up as a single meeting. So it just wasn't a thing. And I know that part of the value is there are so many other stakeholders around for hearings and around talking to members that it's just a closed like a closed environment where you run into people almost randomly. There's some sort of like legislative Brownian motion thing where we just bang into each other and then suddenly, hey, wait, I needed to talk to you about this thing. And a lot of stuff gets done informally like that. I felt that starting to come back just walking around the two buildings. Now, what about you? You've been in both buildings, but you've been at the witness stand in the Senate. How's that feeling? It it was good. I I think (laughs) I said I was nervous, but I... I thought it was great. And it was like riding a bike. You said it would be right. I think everybody was trying to get back into the groove. I did talk to some senators and I said, you know, how has it been so far? And and their comments generally are, it feels like it takes forever now that we're back in person, like virtual seems like it went faster and we could move, but being back seems like it takes a lot longer. And (laughs) yesterday it it was a long day in the budget and taxation Mm -hmm. committee. So that, that like, that's true. Yeah, you call the name of a witness and that person has to walk yeah. up from the fifth row of the seats yeah. and like come in, sit down and can you pull the microphone? Right. A little? Like, I mean, we, we've seen this a thousand yeah. times. It all adds up. Those yeah. seconds add up, right? <laughs> it, 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 they just do. So instead of just being able to also sitting at a desk and being able to work and then just pressing your button and testifying, there are some right. benefits to that. You know, the Wi-Fi over there, it is what it is. So <laughs> it is, it, it's, it's good. It's interesting. But Michael, one of the reasons why you were back in the House and Senate office buildings today is because we were handing out awards that we weren't able to hand out to delegates and senators in person at our winter conference because the General Assembly was in a special session. So talk a little bit about these legislative awards and what they mean and what we did today. We finally got the, to hand it to them, get the picture, put it on social media. What, what's all that about? Right. So, so um, what I think lots of stakeholder groups and organizations, associations do this sort of thing. You know, they have a vote for the you know, legislator of the year or champion of the year or that mm-hmm. sort of thing. We don't use the, the, that grandiose term, but we do a recognition award every year. And we, we try and point out policymakers, typically in the legislature. Uh, sometimes we have, we have you know, I think uh, the former treasurer, mm-hmm. Nancy Kopp, received an award from us once. Yeah, there's a variety of other players who we bring to a conference, we put in the front of the room, and we sort of say, hey, everybody in county land, this is someone who really had your back. We had a big issue, and she worked hard to make sure we were protected, or he you know, supported all the amendments that we needed and got this bill into perfect shape and helped get it done. Um, I think I think it's a good part of the legislative cycle 
for, I mean, we're cards on the table. Like we're an organization that tries to affect policy and we advocate stuff, but we're not out there helping people get reelected. We don't, we don't do campaign contributions. We don't have a political action committee. So what does Mako and county governments and all of our county commissioners and elected officials back home, what do we bring to the table? To some degree, it's like we can work together toward good outcomes. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea of, hey, Senator, like we're not going to help your campaign fund exactly, but we're going to tell a lot of people that you were on the right side of an important issue. Mm -hmm. And the stuff we care about tends to be things that people back in the district care about. We're talking about education and transportation and your parks and like all that kind of stuff counties do. People love that stuff. They love their library, right? Right. And these are shared constituents, right? So, you know, we're representing the same constituents. And I agree, making good policy is really, really important. So, Let's talk about the award winners. They're on social media. We can share those those tweets. But let's start in the Senate, Michael, and let's start with Senator Katie Fry Hester. Senator Hester seems like she is, has been involved in a lot of the things that we've been working on over the past sure. few years. And and one of the big ones is, is broadband, right? And Maryland became a national leader with a program that, you know, we're doing this dig once legislation now. She led that effort. And, and, and so we wanted to recognize her for that. But generally, she is always somebody who wants to know what the local governments think before she ever makes a decision on a bill. It's a box that she checks. And I think that's really important for us. Well, I think especially because the opposite approach is so much easier, right? right? So, I mean, I mean, she's a technology-inclined person, and so we've got some real policy challenges. Last year, we were, we were really getting into these issues with broadband. How do you get it deployed and rolled out and so forth? And that's kind of tricky. It's, it's cutting-edge stuff, and that's, that's cool and interesting. Not everybody gets it. She does. Right. But at the same time, you start saying, let's come up with a Maryland model. The easiest thing to do is you create one stamp and then you cut 24 cookies and say, we're all going to do it exactly this way. Right. It takes, you got to roll up your sleeves and work harder if it's going to be, let's scale this appropriately. Let's give some flexibility for places that need something different. Mm -hmm. And she's received that message and then I think really run with it. So she gets not only like begrudging agreement, but enthusiasm from her partners at the local government level. And that's super. 100%. And she's also been working really hard on cyber, which will be a big issue this session. And and so, again, just working collaboratively yeah. with local governments, making sure that everybody's at the table. That's what we like to see. The other award in the Senate went to Senator Corey McRae, Michael, and Senator McRae, a friend on the podcast. We went down to Baltimore City and did a podcast with them. That was really cool. One of my favorite, favorite experiences. So talk about what Senator McRae has meant to MAKO, and and he's leading an effort this year to to restore critical funding for local roads. But that's not where this began with Senator McRae. He's always been somebody, again, who has worked well with local governments. Right. So so I think that's I think that's well put. it's it's interesting because local governments have such a big portfolio. We're affected by so many different things. We end up sometimes opposing an idea from the same legislator that we're supporting the next day or vice versa. All the time. Right? Yeah. So this does happen. So we have these complicated relationships. If you think of them as personal relationships, mm-hmm. they can be complicated because on Tuesday, we love your bill. Thanks so much. This is terrific. And then in a different committee, different topic on Wednesday, it's we're blowing this up. This is the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. And then by Thursday, you should be sitting down talking about both of them. And you ought to be past the personal level and into let's find common ground. Right. Let's work together on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
you know, once delegate, now Senator McRae, is one of those relationships that he recognized that local governments could be a partner in getting stuff done. And, and that's, I think, I think it's been useful for him. I don't think, I don't think it's just, you know, a, a selfless thing. Sure. He wants to be effective and he wants to get some of his ideas done. Mm-hmm. And if we've got a concern about local implementation or cost or rigidity or that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. it's in his interest to say, let me hear you out and let me make sure that my idea fits with the way you want to do it. And we can work together on this. And now we're in the same corner on lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the evolution of that relationship. Sometimes it works that great. Sometimes it doesn't. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think our members were really enthusiastic. We, we missed our chance to have him at the winter conference right. to stand up and clap and that sort of thing. But he'll be at one of our conferences before too long talking about his next big idea mm-hmm. and talking about how do I get the counties with me rather than you know the ones who are knocking on the door saying I got 17 amendments. So I love it. Yeah, really, really well put because it is so important. I mean, why take the path of least resistance? You try to get everybody on the same page. And I think he's recognized that. Moving over to the House, Michael, Delegate Jessica Feldmark. This is someone familiar to mm-hmm. county government, uh, worked with the Howard County Councils for many years. She became a delegate. Right. And so she understands how county government works, but she's also been instrumental. Uh, a lot of work with local income tax flexibility, if you want to talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit, also with broadband. So talk a little bit about Jessica Feldmark and uh, and the award that she got for uh, legislation and a legislator of the year award from MAKO. Right. So so she did, um, she was the House co-sponsor of last year's broadband legislation, mm-hmm. which I think is a big deal. Big deal. And you know, we we had our Southeast Regional meeting with our counterparts from from like a whole, whatever, 14, 15 state region. And you know, we ended up with an extended conversation about the Maryland bill on broadband and next steps. And we got just a whole slew of other states saying, send us the link to that bill because I want to hear more about it. There's stuff in there that we want to take a look at for Georgia, for Tennessee, mm-hmm. for Texas, and so forth. That's great. Mm-hmm. And it takes legislators who get it. Um, so, so Senator Hester, yay, Delegate Feldmark as the, as the House champion on there. And she had to do some heavy lifting. This was not like this bill did not come out the way it came in. Right. It took some maneuvering to get to a final, as things frequently do. That's how you get, it's hard to pass a bill. So, so, um, she, she plugged in, figured it out, was a real asset there. Um, and, and on tax issues, she sits on the Ways and Means Committee and worked with local governments on a matter. Our income tax is it's just it, it's what do they say there's the old saying like um if if the only thing you have is a hammer then everything looks like a nail right it's like it's like the least flexible tax tool that county governments have set one rate that's it you're done thinking about it unlike the state right. and right. the federal yeah, government almost right everybody right. who right. does income taxes mm-hmm. uses brackets and right. so forth the idea in this bill didn't seem like it was super controversial. It kind of drifted into controversy, mm-hmm. but the core principle was just let's let the counties set tiers if they want to. Mm-hmm. And at that level, she was able to get through controversy and difficulty and some pushback and saying there's still a core idea worth saving. She helped us get that bill done. And I don't think we're going to have a revolution in county income taxes, but at least having some tools in the toolbox 
I think it's the right direction. So, so grateful for her remembering the stuff she understands from having worked a long time with county government mm-hmm. and now putting some of that to play, you know, in her seat in the legislature. I love it. Absolutely. Here, here. And then finally, the, the second award in the House, Delegate Jason Buckle, the minority leader in the House, also sits on Ways and Means. And, and Delegate Buckle, you know, Michael, he's somebody that is always willing to hear Mako out. And if he has a bill, he wants to work on ways to oh, fix it rather than just jamming things through. He always comes to us and says, hey, you know, what can we do? I want to partner with you all. I understand what unfunded mandates are. I understand, you know, what all this means. And particularly when he's representing, you know, Western Maryland, where resources are not necessarily as, as fruitful as they may be in other parts of the mm-hmm. state. He often understands working with MAKO is important, too, because we do represent all counties and we do want to make sure there's an even playing field for everyone. So I think he appreciates that about MAKO. But I know there's a lot of we appreciate about him as well. Yeah, I think I, I think so. Um, yeah, we, we, we when we've been talking about missing the in-person stuff in Annapolis, mm-hmm. a big part of that is the informal work that you can do face to face, just in the hallway after a hearing or you know, you, you run into somebody on Main Street in Annapolis and you talk for literally 60 seconds, but you might work something out or you might let somebody know, okay, you know, we get it. Our amendment isn't that important. If you can do this one thing or, we'll, you know, stuff gets done in that informal setting. Um, he's a great example of that, that I, I've lost count of the number of times that he's reached out and said, you know, I was worried about this bill originally, but after hearing, you know, Kevin testified in the Ways and Means Committee, and I want to talk to you two because after hearing that, I think if we just took this one piece out of the bill, you guys would probably be okay. That 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 worry about implementation from the counties would probably go away. We might be able to get this done, and I think you know the minority party members of the committee would probably be okay with that too and you know anyway yep. the idea of let's you know let's crack a couple eggs and and whip together that omelet um he's he's always like a step deep into that kind of thinking and it's super helpful to have folks who are not just I'm I'm behind the desk you're out there he's definitely the let's talk this stuff through so um I mean, another dumb little anecdote, but, you know, we we try and get guest speakers to come to events with our board of directors or to our legislative committee and so forth. And we invited we, we did the perfunctory invitation to him in his new 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 role as minority leader. Of the right, House. right. We said, well, you know, the Mako board of directors is meeting in the middle of the eastern shore. So, you know, probably you'd want to have Chris Adams mm-hmm, who at the time as mm-hmm. the minority whip. It's like maybe you'd want to have him come in and, and represent the party and you could, you know, pitch some issues that the, that the caucus is working. Trying to make it less awkward. Like we right. know you don't want to drive He's all the way down there. Right. Guy, right. Right. For him to drive all the way to, to Denton right. Right. for our meeting is, you know, I'm sure you know, what, five and a half, that's six a, hours. It's a, it's a long way. Be, right. Yeah. Exactly. And like, I don't know, he responded in like 40 minutes, not, not, not in three or four days, like 45 minutes. He comes back. He says, let me know exactly where and when I'm going to do it if I can. And I'm perfectly willing to haul out and back. And he did exactly that. As nearly as I can tell, he drove out, spent an hour with our folks. He and Delegate Adams mm-hmm. spent an hour with our folks. And I think he just basically put his hat back on and drove back up the mountain. Um, so gets it, understands that these connections are useful. And 
you know, I, I love the informal reach out, but he's been really good to work with at a lot of levels. So, yeah. Couldn't agree more. So so that was good today to be able to finally give those awards out. When we had our, our winter conference, they were in special session. Right. So yeah, we missed our big opportunity. Right. I mean, the, the fun thing is you put everybody up on the stage right. and you have a, a few hundred county people stand up and clap. And it's supposed to be a, a moving moment. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know that a quick shot for the socials is exactly the same thing, but still, you know, the Mako president joins us and gives a direct thank you and we mentioned, you know, these things are important to us. I, I want that to have some value, some take-home value for the legislators who who like respond to stuff that the counties really do care about. It's it's all in good faith, and when they take it well, I like to you know run it up the flagpole. Yeah, really good stuff, really good stuff. And and so being over there was good. I'm glad you were able to get over there as well. And so Michael, you know, we talked a little bit about the Senate and the House, and 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 so. What do you think? I mean, still the most interesting piece of this to me is people who have to testify in the Senate and the House on the same day. We talked about this, the logistics. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't heard any nightmare stories yet, but certainly, I mean, it's going to come to a point where people are just scrambling to find places where they can go and hide and, and testify from the Senate virtually to the House. That still is, is it's still happening and, and still seems like the House is going to remain virtual for, for the remainder of the session. But haven't seen anything go off the rails yet, but we're, yeah. we're just into this. So what do you think? You haven't had that day yet. I have right? not. Okay. I have not. I have okay. not. So, so I, guess, I guess it's still a TBA for us. I mean, there hasn't been – it hasn't been bedlam here right. in Annapolis this week. So right. we've had like three full days of hearings. Mm-hmm. And I saw some some bills that were scheduled this week where it was the same bill being you know, the, the cross-filed House and Senate bills. Right. They, they cross-filed the same bill in both chambers to right. sort of speed up the process. Mm-hmm. And a, a standard old-fashioned thing to do was while the people are in town, let them do, we'll do the Senate bill first and we'll do the House bill last. Mm-hmm. And then all these people just make a big parade from one building to the other. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, is it is it being courteous or discourteous to have the same one day for the hearings on both bills in both chambers, um, eventually it's going to be a thing where, whatever, 15 people need to suddenly scurry for a place to get you know, enough privacy to give their two-minute testimony. Yes, right, right? yes, on on the <laughs> right. same internet network, right? right. So that's a right. challenge so, too, right? So, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that will strain the system. But, uh, I mean, I'm, I think everybody's hopeful. The Senate looks like they doubled down on their capacity mm-hmm. within their building, anticipating that this mm-hmm. would be a thing. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's thinking steps ahead, which is the right way to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So let's... So let's hope that this works okay. Um, I know we've got stakeholders out there who are frustrated with the remote engagement um, and you know with the with coming in person right. and that sort of stuff. Right. So I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see how this untangles. This first week felt like it was the trial balloon, and if anything happens on the fly, like it wouldn't be a shock if this Friday afternoon something pops up in the internet saying, oh, by the way, for next week, the Senate's going to do things just a little differently, and here's what we're going to do. I, I wouldn't be a shock. Wouldn't but, be a shock. Yeah. You could so, see some refinements there, I agree. But generally, I thought it went well. In-person seems to be going pretty well. They, they certainly opened up with a bang doing the big climate bill on day one of in-person right. testimony. So that right. was like, man, you know, an all-day hearing. Well, it's like a stress test. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it, it, a little like that, right? That's what you're supposed to do with banks and so forth. Right. Like you right. run the simulation of what's the worst thing that could happen. And right. so here's a bill that you literally have a hundred people who want to speak. So yeah. that was your that was literally your first day of in-person testimony. Okay, bring in the first 18, and then you ask those people, hey, if you're here, but if you're not here on these, if you're not, if you have a name hasn't been called, right. these first three panels, 
please step outside and let those people stay in and we'll cycle you through. They were like every other seat. Papers all over the chairs and and yeah, yeah. So it's different, but still like you got a chance to sit at the stand. I'm sure I'll get there soon. I mean, it's going to feel like old times being able to look up and just like that, like sensing body language. And when you can tell someone is puzzled by what you're saying, so much. you want to change the way you're talking and in person is just really different. Yeah, it's great. And I agree with you too. Just, you know, running into people, you can get way more done just by seeing people and not having to text everybody and emails. It just gets old. So that, that was really good. It felt like old times. You're right. So that's good. Hopefully you'll get there soon. So Michael, one of the, the biggest news items this week in Annapolis is the Accountability Implementation Board. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to let you take the lead here and, and explain what that is and remind everybody what we're talking about. But several different news items related to that. And again, this all goes back to the blueprint and to Kerwin, Kerwin right? This right. is our, our bread and butter. Can't right? get away from it. We're never going to get away from it. Never going to get away. Okay. Well, this doesn't really have to go all the way back, but it, but it does trace back to the, the, we call it the blueprint for Maryland. It was the Kerwin Commission. It's the state's big, broad, ambitious study about how are we going to deliver public education? How are we going to get from here to a much more forward-looking point, you know, a decade or so from now? And one of the tenets in that bill, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about funding, and that's the county role in all this is dollars, but one piece in that bill that a lot of people, including Britt Kerwin, the chair of the commission, felt was really essential mm-hmm. was that if you're going to make these new investments in public education, we need to really bird dog it to make sure that it's happening on the ground the way that we envisioned it in you know in the report and in the paper and in the bill and in the fund. And that makes sense, yeah. right? This is right. A, there are a lot of heavy weighty recommendations with a lot of money involved and so right. it would make sense you're not just going to, you know, fold up your tent and go away and let it let happen right. what right. happens. Write you a need, bunch of checks right. and then we'll come back in a decade with a new commission. Right. This this they meant to be like we want to see the follow through. We want the receipts, right? right. right. And so and, and and it makes sense at a lot of levels but the the legislation talks about investments and changes in structures down to the individual school level, which has not really been Maryland's bag up until now. But, hey, this school is separate. We need specific services here. You've got to hire a person to do these functions. You've got to deliver these new things. Right. And then we've got to respond to these kids in a new way. So having having a body to oversee that process, uh, basically a new board with professional staff, is the way to make sure that as this goes along, we've got someone who's watching, who's sort of minding the store, making sure this is going the way you want it to, but this area, they're having, having trouble hiring the people we wanted, and we're falling behind, so we might need to refine things A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that you'd want this board to be doing. So it's implementation, right? So this... So, and, and then like, that's different. But, right. But, but so like, I think there, yeah. so like, even, you know, I have to go back and rack my brain and remember all of this stuff, but I think a lot of people think, okay, so this implementation board, this is the board now, Michael, that Kerwin, they laid out the roadmap and now this is the board who's going to like change the wealth formulas and decide right. like who gets paid what or what, that, that, is that what we're yeah. talking we, about we, here? But yeah. We keep hearing that right. and it's just a misunderstanding. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So this isn't the body that's really reframing the policy that's already been set. They're not, the formulas yeah. have been written and the like that wealth formula that we've talked multiple times about, that's set, that's in law, right. and, and that's not really up for debate. It's more about 
know, in this 10-year plan, we thought that year three was the right time to kick in this new advancement ladder for teaching professionals mm-hmm. and to get them onto an accelerated track for higher credentials and potentially higher pay. Right. Um, is year three really the right time? Let's find out after year two. Somebody's like taking a temperature and saying, okay, we're on track right. to do that the way we envisioned, but this other part of the program, we might not be able to meet those targets, and here's why, or we need to do something differently. That's the kind of stuff they're supposed to be doing. I don't, I think audit is not the right word, but it's, I, I don't know. I, I think I think they're the ones who are supposed to be real time monitoring and measuring that this stuff is happening mm-hmm. the way the policymakers envisioned it. Accountability, right? That's what we're talking yeah. about. They're, they're just trying to make sure everything's going as 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 envisioned. So let's go back, Michael, to the fall. And, and this, I think, traces mm-hmm. back to that a bit. And that's when there was a lot of conversation about you know, appointing this board and how that was going to work and, and, and remind us what happened there because that all plays into what is right. going on this week, right? right. So, yeah, so, so all this stuff is in, in the news this week, but allow us one more lily pad on the way there. Back in the fall, it was time for those for the, for the board to be populated. Let's get the people nominated and appointed to the board. Right. The process for that was written into statute. It was part of the bill to say there's going to be a nominating committee. Here's who appoints the people on the nominating committee. They'll hear applicants and they'll nominate a slate of recommended people to the governor. The governor then picks the final membership from that slate. Right. And what we saw during that process was the recommended slate from the nominating committee. Um, If you looked on a map of Maryland where those people reside, it was just like huddled around the center of the state. Right. And a lot of people who lived in other parts of the state said, wait, this doesn't seem right. There's nobody anywhere near where I live. There's no one from Western Maryland, the Eastern Shore, Southern Maryland. It was literally, I've forgotten forgotten the array, but it was, you know, multiple Montgomery County, Baltimore City, I think one who lives in Anne Arundel County, one one from Baltimore County, and like that's the list, right? right? Um, so you can so, understand why people would be like, hold on a second, right. yeah, this is a statewide big, big blueprint, we're right. investing a lot, we want to be accountable everywhere, so right. we want to make sure we have that geographical representation. Right, and and you know, in addition to there's nobody from Western Maryland, there's also the sort of subsidiary policy, there's no one here who is in a jurisdiction with the kind of issues that face a smaller school district. Right. Like, like if you're like Anne Arundel County on up, mm-hmm. your school system has literally dozens of schools. And, and the way you hire is in waves and by the score, where if you're Allegheny County, <laughs> you have what, two high schools right. or whatever. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a different totally scale. Different frame. Right. right. Exactly. Right. So um, anyway, that question of what is this board really about kind of poked its head up a little bit. Some people were thinking, well, we're going to be cut out of the decisions of who gets the funding or how do we distribute money to A versus B and that sort of thing. That's not really what the body is for. But still, I think I think it's a reasonable argument that, boy, I'd, I'd rather see a wider map of – I'd rather see more pins in, in that map. So – so that was a dust up at the time. Mm-hmm. The governor sort of, I don't know, maybe like held his nose and said, the law says I have to pick seven from these nine. I wish I had a bigger map of people to choose from, but I don't. Right. So be it. Here's my seven. Mm-hmm. Um, so that catapults to the approval process. A lot of nominations from the governor need to go before the Maryland Senate. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so that goes 
fast forward to now, and that was the, sort of the beginning of this week, it was a dust-up on the floor. There were nominees presented on the Senate floor, and, and they got held up a bit, and there were a lot of questions. Ultimately, Michael, you know, a lot of the stuff you just talked about with the geographic diversity and whatnot, they all got through, mm -hmm. right? So now that's that's over. And then the next yeah. big piece of this was, you know, there's also a bill that would that would mandate that there is more geographic diversity, right? And so Mako supporting that bill, I think it's the right thing to do. We, we want everybody to be represented. And again, we're not talking about changing formulas and who gets to decide what, what they're spending, how much money. Right. This is just about making sure that everything's accountable statewide. So those appointments got through, but now there's a bill to maybe add some representation from, from other parts of the state. Right. And, I, and I, have, I have forgotten exactly how the bill is written, as I recall. It, it looks at regions of the state and then some of the, like a certain number of the large largest, most populous right, counties, right. basically says, you know, you check all these boxes as you go through it. Um, I don't know what might make its way all the way through the legislature, but I, I think, I don't know, I think I think it passes a smell test to say, hey, let's revisit this, mm -hmm. a body of seven, like you're not going to, you're not going to ruin its efficiency by expanding it to nine or 11 members or something like that. So some, some idea of let's have some extra representation and bring in other parts of the state geographically. I wouldn't be surprised if that makes it through um, mm -hmm. in one form or another. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think I think that's that's reasonable. And you know they've got timeline issues now too. This body, you know, this body just made the the, the chair, who's you know, former Montgomery County Executive and former Mako President Ike Leggett, mm -hmm. um, awfully well respected figure and someone who's you know done a lot of time in public service. Mm -hmm. um, uh, for for the for the county for the state and for his country, right? Um, it, you know, is is now the chair of this body, and he was confirmed as the chair. Um, he just did a pretty extended briefing to the House of Delegates leadership on education issues mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. um, part of what he was talking about was timetables because they're already they're already like right up against deadlines. They're just not going to make right. Some of this traces back to the veto of the original bill where funding didn't have to happen and so forth. It's gotten a little tricky. Sure, sure, sure. But he was joined by Rachel Heiss, and Rachel Heiss was – nobody knows more about Kerwin, right. that those bills, the blueprint, than Rachel Heiss. So it makes a lot of sense that she's now there supporting that board. And so you're right. They did a, a big presentation. They came out with sort of a, a new timetable today, right, because mm -hmm. you mentioned there are some delays and they're kind of up against it. But – but, Michael, it sounds like that is going to require a bill, right? right? right. And so we've talked about, <laughs> you know, is there a chance that we we delve into a, a Kerwin 3.0 this session? So in your mind, if we have to do new timetables, is that does that open the window enough, right? And, and, and we, you know, we're watching the Olympics. Is that a bobsled everybody can, can <laughs> everybody, jump on? Everybody just jump in. Or a skeleton. They want to go yeah. face first and just go. <laughs> like, is, is that enough? You think, you know, like a bill like that, that just changes some timetables, is that enough to open up the window right. and say, let's throw all this other stuff at the wall too and see what sticks? Well, I, I think I'm still stuck at I don't know. Um, you know, we're, that's that's probably you know poor orchestration of a podcast to set up a question and with a with a dud answer like that. I, I really, it doesn't feel to me like there's the big broad list of concerns sure. like last year. Like last year, you had a you had a headcount for students yeah. that was almost almost everybody agreed was not a fair representation right. of your real student body. Right. Um, you, because of the veto, you had a long list of timetables that had to be changed mm -hmm. and funding references that had to be changed. So, like, the list of things that you 
for all intents and purposes, you really had to do mm -hmm. during the 21 session was going to be like a five, eight, 10 page bill anyway. Right. So, Couldn't avoid it. Couldn't yeah, avoid so, it. Right. So the idea of here's the bill, it's got all these technical corrections and some policy refinements and like all this stuff. And fine, like we'll call it Kerwin 2.0 mm -hmm. to try and explain to everybody this is the meaningful, you know, let's, 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 let's finalize, you know, like let's tie up all these loose ends. Right. 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 This year, I mean, what do you have? You've got this one particular board that needs a new timetable, but mm -hmm. that's that's literally like four or five references in the law that could be done in a page or two. Or you could do it through the bill we talked about earlier, right? right? If yeah, you're going to you, expand, you can, right, right? You've got membership of that body. If if you if the if the will of, mm -hmm. of the General Assembly is to change the timetable, then it would certainly stand the single subject sure. text in Maryland sure. that you change its due dates as well as its membership. Mm -hmm. So that could that could be in one bill. But again, that doesn't have to be a behemoth. Right. Doesn't right? need to be an omnibus bill, right. And and there's there's another bill now in both chambers that's that's looking in sort of a technical way at the, the county requirement, looking at last year's count might be a bit of a hiccup. Right. So but, maintenance of efforts. Right. But I think it's I think all of this feels smaller scale. Mm -hmm. So, so if if last year felt like the earthquake, then what we've got are like a few little aftershocks, and maybe you don't need to have a a four alarm response to this one. Maybe it can be one or two bills, just pass them. It doesn't need to be the big toboggan effect where suddenly we take up every question again. Yeah, and I think you would think that if if that were going to be the case, I mean, we're at a point in session now where you would have had a lot of that ready to go, and maybe a bill would have been dropped. It doesn't have to. They they can yeah. certainly do right. bills whenever they want to do them. But you know, I, I I sort of agree with you. I don't think it's enough now where it opens up the door for a lot of other things. Yeah. It seems like this is pretty innocuous and mostly technical. With, with the date changes and whatnot. Maybe the, we'll, we'll expand the board, get some more diversity there. The maintenance of effort, if you want to come talk to Michael and get into the weeds about that, we're not going to even uh, yeah. do that on the podcast. That we'll put be, them outside. That you could can be for the you know for the, the Patreon version yeah, of the you, podcast. We'll, for the people who want the serious punishment, I'll oh, walk them through the whole he, thing. We'll put them outside on right. Conduit Street and you can come <laughs> find them. At like, you just, just grab them because we're not, we're not we can't even do that here. back and forth. Right? Yes, we're thing. just shaking his hand with papers and no. I, I, honestly, all right, I think, I think, just talking this out here, I think I'm probably talked into, no, they don't need a giant Kerwin. I don't Agreed. think you need Agreed. a big 3.0 bill. I think, you Agreed. know, whether 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 the, 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 the reference dates get changed in a little bill here or there, or whether it's in the membership bill, or even in the other maintenance of effort bill, sure. you only have a couple of things to do. You could do the easy low-hanging fruit without this being break out you know, every single stakeholder and take up all those issues again. So yeah, I'm, I'm sold. Small ball here. And they got enough going on. I mean, it's not <laughs> right, like... Right, yeah, yeah. it's not like they're, they're begging for, for things to take care of during an election year, you know, with the extra twist of mm. filing deadlines moved back a month. So uncertainty about who you might be running against is still lingering out there like that. Don't don't underestimate yeah, that as a time. factor in this session. Big time. It's going to be till almost the end of the session before a lot of members know for who's, sure. Who's running against them mm -hmm. or whether they are going to have a tough race in their own primary or suddenly there'll be people who just announce like, yeah, the day before the filing deadline, I'm going to retire. I'm not doing this anymore. That happens every go round. But yeah, with with six weeks to go in session rather than two is a different story. Yeah, this just prolongs the anxiety <laughs> that you can feel around yeah. town for a lot of people. So, so. No, no shortage of things for legislature its leaders and its rank and file members to be thinking about. They don't need a big bruiser bill this year. So yeah, keep this small. I like it. Okay. Anything else, Michael? We'll, we'll wrap it up. But do you have anything else on your mind before 
before we retire for uh, for this episode? Um, I'm just glad to be back here on Conduit Street yeah. recording live. It's good to see you. Yeah. Good to get a chance to walk around in the in the halls a little bit mm-hmm. today. And I don't know, my experience is like Annapolis is drifting a little more toward normal. Mm-hmm. And that could be on balance a good thing. If people are feeling safe and the health indicators suggest that this is, you know, this is a reasonable, responsible thing to do. I think I'm here for it. Okay. Yeah, me too. And it does it does feel good to be back with you as well and with all of our colleagues here at Mako. So things seem like they're turn, returning to normal, and we hope that trend continues. But we will leave it there for today. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then, of course, the Conduit Street blog. But for now, for Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon.